Thank you so much for being here on this Sunday morning to worship with us at Harrison Faith. Um, our pastor today is not here. He is with uh, a group of, I think about, I may be wrong on this number. I don't know the exact number, but I think we had close to around 30 of the men from our church that have been gone to Men's Encounter this weekend. If you have not been, or some of you and you actually have been, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but a big group of our men, uh, along with our pastor, he had never been, so he wanted to go, obviously, uh, to experience that himself, but also be in support uh, of the men of our church. And so a big group of our men have been there this weekend. And so before we even dive in today, I just want to encourage you, let's continue to, to keep them in our thoughts and in our prayers um, that God would just continue to move. I think it continues today, and they'll probably be done uh, later this afternoon or this evening. And so just continue to pray for them, that God would speak to the men of our church, uh, that he would move upon their hearts and move in the areas of their lives, and that the Holy Spirit would just move upon them. Uh, and I thought about this today uh, and even this week as I was preparing for the message, but how awesome would it be as our pastor has been, uh, we've been going through this series called Overflow, and he's been kind of uh, in, a, in a sense, casting vision through this series about God in us and God through us. And I thought to myself, how powerful would it be if a group of about 30 men that are a part of Harrison Faith came back from this men's encounter weekend and they began to lead the way in overflow for this church and for this community? Amen? And so I just challenge you and encourage you today, even throughout the service, to keep them upon your mind. Uh, even after we leave today, continue to pray for them that God would do just that, that the men of our church would come back and they would begin to lead the way in what it looks like uh, to live a life of overflow. Because I don't know about you, but I believe in today's culture and society, it's going to be the men, it's going to be the fathers who are going to be raised up. God is raising up, I believe, a generation and a remnant. And it's going to be the men and the fathers who lead the way. Because as, as you see, even in, a, in families, uh, children and, and families look to the Father to lead the way. And so I'm excited. I'm believing as those men come back from Men's Encounter that they're going to be refreshed, they're going to be renewed, they're going to be revived, and they're going to come back ready to lead this church and what it looks like to embrace a life of overflow. So once again, if you haven't been here or if you missed last week, we have been in a series called Overflow. And I thought I would just give you a recap uh, if you've missed some of the weeks. So far, Pastor Scott has talked about in the first week, Christ as the source of overflow and how we must abide in Him. In the second week, he talked about the power of overflow. If you remember the illustration and the visual with the big thing of water and the glass cups stacked on one another, he talked about the power of how overflow starts in our personal relationship with God and then it overflows into our marriages, our families, the church, and the community, and so on. And then last week, uh, Pastor brought a very powerful word as he talked about the obstacles that prevent overflow in our lives. And so today, I want to continue in that series, Overflow. And I want to simply talk to you on the subject today, embracing a life of overflow through worship. Embracing a life of overflow through worship. As I was praying last Monday, I sensed the Lord speaking to me that a life of overflow is intricately tied to our worship. It is intricately tied to our worship. And so today I want to talk about some specific action steps for how we can embrace and sustain a life of overflow through worship. We begin today in verses 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 5, uh, I'm not going to start in the first part of the story, but we're going to start here in verse 8, 9. Uh, but if you're not familiar with the story, what has just happened in Luke chapter 5 is that uh, 
there was a big crowd and they were following Jesus. And he comes to the place uh, where he sees Simon and some of the others. They have just got done fishing all night long and he sees the boat. And so Jesus gets in the boat and he asks Simon to push the boat out uh, from the shore so that he can begin to use the boat as a platform to teach the people. And Simon and the others had just come back from fishing all night and they came up empty. They didn't catch anything. And so a little bit later, as he's teaching, he looks to Simon and he says, go out a little bit deeper. Go out a little bit deeper and let down your nets. And this seemed uh, obviously very illogical because, number one, of the time of day, it was now daytime, and uh, that is not when you fished. You don't go out and deep and fish uh, in the depth. And just there were so many things, if you study it, that just made it not make sense and be illogical for them to do what Jesus was asking them to do at that moment. But they respected him and they honored his instructions. And so if you know the story, you know what happened next. They went out a little bit deeper. Even though they had fished all night, they let down their nets. And the Bible says that they brought in so many fish that their nets were on the verge of breaking. And they were having a hard time getting the nets in the boat. And so we pick up there in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 8. And this is what it says. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus And said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Verse 9 is interesting. It says, for he was awestruck. He was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught as were the others with him. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to bring your word today. And I ask that you would anoint our minds, that you would anoint our hearts, that you would open every ear, soften every heart. Lord, that you would anoint my lips as your instrument, as your mouthpiece to communicate the gospel with clarity and conviction and power and anointing. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So they were awestruck at what had just happened in this moment and the power of who God was and what He could do. And so number one today, if you're taking notes, because we believe that note-takers are... I was counting on some of our youth. That's all right. I don't know where the rest of them are. They are somewhere. Maybe they're still asleep. I don't know. It's all good. Number one, if you're taking notes as we talk about embracing a life of overflow through worship, I think the first and simple step that we must realize is that we have to realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are sinners in need of a Savior. The reality is today, church, that no matter how long you and I have been serving the Lord and no matter how much we grow, we will never outgrow the fact that we are still sinners in need of a Savior. We are still imperfect people in need of a perfect spotless lamb. We are human, therefore we still need God to heal us. We still need God to change us. We still need God to be our ever-present help in time of trouble. We're still in need of His grace and His mercy every single day. We're still in need of the Spirit of God to reform us and mold us and shape us to become more like Him. Because at the end of the day, we're still sinners in need of a Savior. If we're going to embrace a life of overflow in 2023 and beyond, we must remember that we can never lose our need for Jesus Christ. Can I challenge you today? Don't ever lose your astonishment at who God is and what He can do in your life. Stay humble and stay astonished at the presence and the work of God in and through your life. Don't ever get to a place where you're too proud to worship Jesus. Because it's when we get to that place 
that we can no longer grow. We can no longer allow him to flow through us because we've allowed self to get in the way. Let me give you a few examples of scriptures that speak of the wonder and the marvel of God's works and why we have a reason to remain in a place of astonishment before him. I love these scripture verses in Psalms 8, 1 1 through 4. It says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them and human beings that you care for them? Isaiah 40, 26 says, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Romans eleven thirty three through 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God and what that, that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Psalm 96 Verses 3 through 6 says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. This is the God we're talking about. This is the God we serve. This is the God we worship. And we must remain in a place of astonishment at who He is and all that He can do in our lives. We're still in need of a Savior. We're still in need of King Jesus. We're still in need for Him to be Lord of all. And for many of us, if we want to embrace a life of overflow, as we challenge ourselves to Embrace a life of overflow, not just this year, but I'm praying that it would go beyond just 2023, that this would be the starting point. But for many of us, I believe it's time to return to a place of humility and repentance. Perhaps some of us have become too busy or too proud and we've allowed our desires and our plans to hinder our worship and our need for God. We pick up in verse 10 and 11 of Luke chapter 5. He goes on to say, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, do not be afraid from now on. You will be fishing for people. And then something very powerful happens in verse 11. It says, and as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. They left everything. And they follow Jesus. Number two, if we're going to embrace a life of overflow through worship, we must come to the place in our lives where we're willing to surrender everything. Willing to surrender everything. If we're going to answer the call to embrace a life of overflow, we must be willing to leave everything and follow his lead. In another translation, verse 11 says, and they left their nets. And so I want you to understand the importance today 
of what this net represents, what their nets represented. When it says they left their nets and they followed Jesus. We must understand today that it wasn't just a fishing net. They said, well, this is dumb. I'm just going to throw this to the ground and be done with this. It wasn't that simple. We must understand that it was much more complicated. It was not just as simple as them dropping something that was in their hand. Because to Simon and to the others, their nets represented everything in their life. The nets were a symbol of their livelihood. The nets were a symbol of, uh, were a symbol of them. It, it, was, it was everything. They used these nets to catch fish, but this was how they provided for their family. This was how they put food on the table. This was everything they had ever known. And this is everything that they had ever trained for. This is everything they had ever done in their life. And so the net to them represented everything. And for them in that moment to drop their net and to leave it behind and to follow Jesus, it meant that they were surrendering completely everything. Everything they'd ever known. Everything they'd ever done. They were surrendering themselves, their families, their livelihood, their finances, everything to follow after Jesus and what he had called them to do. And when the men dropped their nets and followed Jesus, they were making a huge statement. This was a, if you will, a mic drop moment in their faith walk. They were choosing to surrender absolutely everything by faith to follow Jesus. Can I ask you a question today? Are you willing to surrender everything in order to follow Jesus and embrace a life of overflow? Are you willing to leave it all behind just so that you can say yes to Jesus? You see, many of us are being hindered from going deeper in our relationship with God and deeper in our faith, and deeper in our worship, because we simply can't let go of what's in our possession. Whether it be selfish desires, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a job or another job offer, whether it be a full-ride scholarship, these are just simple examples. But what we need to understand today is that sometimes, in order for God to lead you into the fullness of your purpose, you have to let go of what's in your possession. The very tool that they used to bring revenue in would soon keep them out if they did not come to terms with letting it go. Can I challenge you to let go of your net so that you can discover your next? What is the net in your life? As we talk about embracing a life of overflow, surrendering everything, what does the net represent in your life? What is it that maybe represents everything that you know in your life? What is it that you just can't seem to let go of that's hindering you from going deeper in your walk with God so that you can embrace a life of overflow? What's hindering you from accepting the call to go make disciples because you just can't let it go? There are people in this room today, there are people watching online today that what God has next for you in this season is greater than what's behind you And it's greater than anything you think or imagine. He is getting ready to bring you into an overflow of his abundance. But in order for you to get to your next, you must let go of your net. You must get to a place where you're willing to surrender everything to follow 
Jesus. Can I challenge you today as we are embracing a life of overflow? Whatever it is that's in your possession that's holding you back, can I just simply challenge you to let it go today? Can we let those things go today? Perhaps today could be the breaking moment where we say, just like Simon and the others, for them, maybe we have that divine moment today, that divine encounter where we say, we're dropping those things. Whatever those things, whatever that net represents, I'm dropping that today. I'm leaving it all behind so that I can embrace this life of overflow that is found in following Jesus. We turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. We're going to move to a different part of Scripture. Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 12. Anybody ready to go a little bit deeper this morning? Just a few of you. All right. Genesis 26, starting in verse 12, and it says, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. He became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with dirt. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and he camped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Listen closely to verse 18. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Something powerful there in verse 18 where it says Isaac reopened the wells. In another translation, it says he redug the wells. I believe that if we as a people... Something the Lord has been speaking to me, even personally, but we as a body of believers together as a church and as a community, if we're going to go deeper in our faith, if we're going to embrace this life of overflow, it's going to require, number three, some of us to redig the wells that the enemy has tried to cover up in your life. Redig the wells that the enemy has tried to cover up in your life. If we're going to embrace a life of overflow, it's going to require us to keep digging. Isaac experienced abundant prosperity in his life as a result of God's covenant with his father Abraham that he would make him a great nation and bless him and make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. So if you don't know the story, Isaac was benefiting from his father's blessings, but the Philistines became jealous and envious. And so they began to fill all of his wells with dirt. And if you study this, it tells us that in those days, to fill in someone's wells was considered an act of war. It was the most one of the most serious crimes in the land. But I love that in 26 verse 18 it says that Isaac began to redig the wells. The more I begin to think about this and the more I begin to think about how it related to a life of overflow and going deeper in our faith and in our worship so that we can embrace a life of overflow. As the children of God, we we benefit from the blessings of our Father in heaven. And the enemy knows that that is true. 
And so he's at war with us daily, making it his goal to do everything he can to rob us of our blessings. Or perhaps even to deceive us into thinking that we're not really blessed. He goes to war with us, gradually trying to fill our wells with distractions and temptations and worldly desires and lies and discouragement and wrong attitudes and frustrations and offenses and bitterness. And before we realize it, the source from which we were drawing spiritual life has been filled with dirt and garbage and things that are not from God. Can I challenge you today? It's time to get comfortable working with the shovel in our lives. It's time for some of us to roll up our sleeves and start redigging some wells. It's time to redig the well from which you once received joy. Redig the well from which you once were drawing your strength and your peace and your courage. Can I ask you, what are the wells that you need to dig in this season of your life? What are the wells that need to be redug in 2023? Could it be the well of an established prayer time every morning? Could it be the well of an established devotion time spent reading and studying God's Word? Is it the well of a relationship or a mentorship that once helped you grow but you stopped initiating it? Is it the well of a relationship that you need to initiate but you never did? Is it that you need to redig the well of accountability in your life? I don't know what the answer to that question is for you, but just can I challenge you today? What are the wells that need to be redug in the season of your life so that you can begin to embrace a life of overflow? It goes on to say in verse 19 of Genesis 26, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, that water is ours. So he named the well Isaac. Because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there. Listen carefully, verse 22. He moved on from there, and he dug another well. And no one quarreled over this one. He named it Rehoboth, which means broad place, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. And from there he went up to Beersheba. And that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you. I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And so Isaac built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent. And there his servants dug another well. Number four, if we're going to embrace a life of overflow. When you've done all that you know to do, keep digging. Y'all getting this today? Can I just encourage someone? When you've done all that you know to do, keep digging. The more I begin to study this, I didn't even have this point in my notes for today. Until I begin to study this and I could continue to read that chapter further along to the end. The Lord began to show this to me in my own life. The two wells that he dug that were contested were named Isaac and Sitna, which means dispute and opposition. But when Isaac faced conflict or opposition, we need to notice that he did not fight. He just kept moving and he kept digging. And as he continued to dig, 
The Bible says the Lord made room for him. And I believe perhaps what God was saying to Isaac was this. You have faced much conflict and opposition, but if you will continue to dig and trust me by faith, I'm going to make room for you to prosper in this next season. And I believe perhaps the Lord would even say to this church, to you and I today, as you continue to dig and redig some wells that the enemy has tried to cover up in your life, the Lord would say, I will make room for you to prosper and to become a well in the land. I will begin to use you to bring life to the dead and broken places and people around you. Can I encourage you this morning? Keep digging. Has anybody ever used a shovel in this place before? A few of you. Has anybody ever had to dig some type of trench or something that took you a long time? Anybody? Would you agree that digging is not fun work? Would you agree that digging is not easy work? In fact, I would probably say that digging is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. It requires a lot of strength and energy. It makes you tired quickly. It makes you sweat. Sometimes your hands may even get blistered. It's not fun work to dig. But I believe if we're going to embrace a life of overflow in this season, it's going to require us to keep digging. And I'll just share with you what I wrote in my notes that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. I know your hands are blistered. I know you feel that your strength is gone. I know you're exhausted. I know you feel sometimes like you've dug all that you can dig. I know that sometimes it even may seem pointless. Why am I still doing this? Why am I still digging? But the Lord says, keep digging. And if you will keep digging, even in seasons of drought, I declare that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. You see, church, the importance and the power is that the more you dig, the more he develops you. And the more he develops you, the more you begin to embrace a life of overflow. And when you begin to embrace a life of overflow, he will use you as a well of hope and inspiration to the lost. He will use you to become a well of healing to the brokenhearted. He will begin to use you to become a well of life and encouragement to those who are discouraged. He will use you to become a well to those who have lost their passion and need someone to come along and help reignite their fire and their faith again. Can I challenge you this morning? Keep digging. If you want God to continue to develop you in this season, continue to develop you this year so that rivers of living water will begin to flow out of you, then you must be willing to pick the shovel back up and keep digging. Can I encourage you this morning? And for perhaps someone that's watching online this morning, don't quit. I know that right now, quitting might be one of the easiest things that you could do. But can I encourage you this morning? Don't quit. Don't put down the shovel of your faith. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on your family. Don't, go, don't give up on the lost loved ones who are running from God. Do not give up. If I can encourage you today, don't give up. Don't put down the shovel. Keep digging because in the digging, God is developing you. And you may seem like that you're in a season of drought. You may feel like you're empty. You may feel like you've got nothing else to give. And you say, Pastor Caleb, I've been digging. I've been digging. I've been digging. I've been praying. I've been reading my word. I don't hear anything. Keep digging. It's not a popular message. 
It's not a fun message. But I can promise you one thing. That if you will remain faithful where you're at, and you will keep digging, God is getting ready to bring you into a place of overflow. And you won't just be digging, but he's going to allow you to become a well. And as the scriptures say, rivers of living water will begin to flow from your life. Keep digging. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't lay down the shovel. I know it gets tough sometimes, but keep digging. God's not done with you. He's still developing you. Lastly, we flip over to Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to start in verse 16 of Genesis 28. Let me give you kind of just a background before we dive in. If you don't know the story here in this chapter, Jacob has a dream or a revelation where he sees a stairway reaching from earth to heaven and he sees angels of God going up and down the stairway and the Lord was standing at the top of the stairway and he began to speak to Jacob that he was the same God to Jacob that he was to Abraham and to Isaac. And he confirms his blessing on Jacob. He goes on to tell Jacob, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. And I will not leave you until I've finished giving you everything that I've promised you. So we pick up in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 28. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking I will, and, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you 10%. Number five. We're going to embrace a life of overflow in this season. We must respond to his presence. May seem, may, may, may seem simple or practical, but I believe there's something powerful when we respond to the presence of God in our life. And this is what happened with Jacob. It's the fact that God's presence is so powerful, it demands a response. And in order for us to embrace a life of overflow in 2023, it will require us to be more intentional about how we respond to the presence of God in our life. It's not about being fake. It's not about putting on a show or looking for attention. It's simply about responding to His presence and what He's doing in our lives. So based on Jacob's response here in Genesis chapter 28, I want to give you six proper ways for us to respond to God's presence in worship. And then I'm closing. Worship team, if you want to go ahead and come back. Number one, 
the first way we respond to God's presence in worship is simply recognition. Recognize His presence and acknowledge it. It's powerful to me that Jacob's first response was this, Surely the Lord is in this place. And yet I was not even aware of it. We must be aware of God's presence in our lives. We must be aware of what God's presence is doing in this church and in this community in this season. We must be aware of what God's presence is doing in our family, in our kids, in our grandchildren. We must be aware of His presence at all times and recognize it and acknowledge it. Number two is simply awe and reverence. Jacob responded to the presence of God with a holy fear and a reverence. He said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God. It is the very gateway to heaven. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's not the idea of being scared or frightened. But rather, it's the idea of having a reverent fear of the Lord that He's holy and He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our obedience and His presence is here. His presence is upon our lives and we must be in awe of that. And we must be reverent of that and acknowledge that and respond to His presence at work in our lives. Number three, how do we respond? We Responding by giving thanks. Jacob recognized that all of his blessings came from God. And he gave thanks for the protection and the guidance on his journey. He gave thanks. Number four, dedication. Jacob sets up a stone pillar and pours oil over it as an act of worship. And dedication. He commits to following God and living in obedience to Him. There's a point where we come in our response to the presence of God in our lives where we have to make the decision whether or not we're going to dedicate our life to Him, dedicate our journey to Him, dedicate our direction to Him, dedicate our family to Him. Jacob recognized the presence of the Lord, he was in awe of the presence of the Lord. He was reverent of the presence of the Lord. He gave thanks for it, but then he dedicated his life to God in that moment. Number five is proclamation. We respond to his presence in worship through proclamation. Jacob called the place where he had the dream Bethel, which means house of God. He was so moved by his experience that he began to share it with other people, and he declared that place sacred and holy. And for many of us in this place today, if we are going to experience a life of overflow in 2023, this is the year that we go deeper in our worship through proclamation. It's time to share your faith with the coworkers that you work with. It's time to go share what God has done in your life with someone in the community. It's time to go share with someone about what God is doing in your life. There's power in proclamation. There's power in proclamation. And for some of us, that's the next step. We recognize His presence. We're thankful for His presence. We're reverent of His presence. We've dedicated our life and our family to Him and what He's called us to do. But perhaps for someone, the next step is it's time for you to open up your mouth 
and begin to recognize that God wants to use you as a well to speak life into people, to prophesy over people. He has put dreams and visions and giftings and talents down inside of you. But if you never are willing to step out of fear and open up your mouth and let him use you, then you're not going to be able to proclaim what God has put down in you. Proclamation. We respond in worship when we open up our mouth and we proclaim the word of the Lord and we proclaim what God is doing in our life. And the last and final step, number six, if you want to stand with me today. Number six is simply action. We respond to the presence and the work of God in our life through worship when we take action. Jacob renewed his vow of keeping the promise to return to this place. And then he stated that he will begin to tithe 10% to God. This was a demonstration of, of obedience that was an act of of worship. For some of us in 2023, if we're going to step out and not just experience a life of overflow through worship, as Pastor Scott has been challenging, if we're going to be a part of leading the way for our church and our families in this community to embrace a life of overflow, it's going to require some action. For some of us, faith has been instilled in you for a long time. Your relationship with God is good. You're dedicated to the Lord. Your family's dedicated to the Lord. Some of you, maybe you've been going to this church for a long time. I don't know where you're at in your walk, but for some of us in this season, it is time to step out and take action so that we can be a part of leading the way and embracing a life of overflow. I don't know what that means could mean serving in the nursery. It could mean serving in kids' ministry. It could mean serving in youth ministry. It could mean serving uh, in live stream or serving in the sound booth or, 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 or clicking the slides on the computer. I don't know. But I know one thing. God has a calling on each of your life. He has a role for you to play. He has a gift that He's put down inside of you. He has ideas and creativity that He's instilled in you. And there's something he has for you to do that's a part of the collective work of the body of Christ. And some of us, maybe we've been sitting back for a long time saying, ah, they got it. This church is so good and the worship's good and the youth ministry's good and the kids' ministry's good and this is good and our church is just so great. We're just so blessed. That's true. But God still wants to use you to be a part of that. He has something that you can do. He has something He wants you to do. He has something He desires for you to do because when you step, when you take action and you step into the role that He's called you to do, you know what happens when you do that? Something beautiful happens. I don't even really know what you call it. But when you begin to step out and be a part of the action and you begin to play the role that God has called you to play as a part of the collective body of Christ, it makes it all that more beautiful for what he's doing in this church. You need to understand that we need you. We need everybody to advance the kingdom of God and to do what we do. 
Amen? Does that make sense? So we must respond in action. So let me just ask you a few closing questions. Then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond today. What do you need to surrender or let go of in this season in order for you to embrace a life of overflow? What do you need to let go of? We talked about the net. We talked about how for the fishermen, the net represented everything in their life. What are the things that you need to let go of in in, in order for you to embrace a life of overflow? What do you need to surrender today, perhaps? What wells do you need to redig in your life in this season so that you can go deeper and experience His overflow for your family, for your marriage, for your ministry, for this church and this community? What areas in your life still need to be developed? Where do you need to go back and pick up the shovel and start digging again so that God can continue to work on you and He can continue to develop you and He can continue to mold you into the man or woman of God He's called you to become? And finally, what action steps do you need to take to respond to God's presence in your life in the appropriate way so that you can go deeper and you can embrace a life of overflow? I want you to think about those questions today. I'm going to give an opportunity for salvation and then I'm going to ask you to respond and come down to the altars in just a moment. The reason I want to do this is because I believe that for some of you here possibly or perhaps someone even watching online today, in order for you to embrace a life of overflow, you need to take the first step. And that is surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and asking Him to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life. That would be the very first step to embracing a life of overflow. So if you're here today or you're watching online, with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, really quickly, if you're here today and you say, I want to embrace a life of overflow. I want to be a part of what God is doing in this season. But I've never verbally opened my my mouth and asked Jesus into my heart to be the Lord of my life. If that's you today, would you just do something very simple? Lift up your hand across the sanctuary. Everybody's heads are bowed and nobody's looking around. If you're watching online, you can message messages privately there. But if that's you, would you just slip up your hand? You say, I need to take the first step and surrender my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. Would everyone else just simply repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross to die for my sins. And thank you that three days later, you rose again in victory so that I might have an opportunity to have new life through Jesus Christ. Come into my heart today. Forgive me of my sin. And from this day forward, be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe today that if you're watching online or you're here in this service, And you prayed that prayer with sincerity of heart. The Bible says 
that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. But the next steps for you are getting connected to the body of Christ and finding accountability and people that can walk with you on this journey because you can't do it alone. So as the worship team begins to play and we get ready to close out this service, I'm going to ask the rest of us to respond today. I gave you some closing things to think about. What are the things you need to surrender? What are the things you need to let go of? What are the wells that need to be redug in your life? Would you respond to his presence today? Respond to the word of the Lord today. And let's spend some time in prayer. If that's you, the Lord needs to develop you. There's some things you need to let go. Let's respond to his presence today. Amen.